Amen. Let's pray. Father God, what a wondrous thing it is that you came down to us in the form of a baby. This is truly a great thing to be gathered here even this morning worshiping you. We are here not only because of the resur- your resurrection from the dead, but because you were born as a baby. You came in the flesh, God, wrapped in swaddling clothes. The simplicity of a newborn was veiled in the body of a human. You condescended to us so that we one day might go to you. It is on this great day that we not only get to look back at your birth individually, but as a body, as a church. Father God, we are so grateful that you have called us to yourself and that we are able to gather together. And as we wait for the day that you come back, you are gracious and clearly showing us how we can worship you. We are grateful, Lord, that we can gather here this morning along with um, not just the people around us, but the millions of other believers who have already worshipped you this morning. While the world celebrates something that they do not understand, we are grateful that you have brought us from death to life. Our hearts, Lord, desire uh, naturally the ease and comfort of this world. It would have been so easy to stay home this morning. Lord, we confess our, our innate desire for that ease and comfort. Lord, continue to cause us to be willing to give up the things of this world for your sake. Lord, we also thank you that we are not alone in this world. We thank you for other like-minded Christians who have gathered today in honor of you and in, in, in honor of Christmas, of your birth. Lord, your faithfulness is evident in the life of your church around the world and will be evident even here this morning as your word is opened. And so we pray that our hearts would be uh, quickened and, and made alive by your word as it is preached. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat and you can open up to Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 22. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 22. And I want to say again, Merry Christmas and a happy Lord's Day to all of you. Why do we gather this morning? Well, I think you all probably know the answer, otherwise you wouldn't be here. So a little bit of preaching to the choir, but let me solidify it for you even further. We gather on this Sunday because it is the day that Christ's people are commanded to meet. Sunday. It is the day traditionally that the Church of Christ has always met in order to give witness to the resurrection of our Messiah our Savior, our Lord. For the Christian, the resurrection of Christ was and is so miraculous that all other religious feasts, all other secular holy days became moot on the Sunday morning that Christ resurrected from the grave 2,000 years ago. All of these holidays were replaced with one day in seven in which Christ's people gather to proclaim that our lives are no longer our own because we have been purchased and redeemed by Christ. This is why we don't practice the Jewish feasts, for example, any longer. But why this Christmas day? Well, 400 or so years after Christ's resurrection, a Roman emperor named Constantine made Christianity the national religion. No one knows why he did this. It could have been motivated for political reasons or military reasons or done out of genuine conviction. 
But as a result, Constantine and the church of the day took pagan nature worship rituals and tried to redeem them. One such redemption was to take the Roman calendar celebration of the winter solstice, the day where it starts to get a little bit lighter, more, uh, longer, and the worship of the pagan god Saturnalia on December 25th, and they combined it with the birth of Christ that most likely actually occurred in mid to late September. But Christmas in September just doesn't have the same ring, does it? <laughs> the worship of the pagan god Saturnalia is actually where we get most of our traditions today. Wreaths, candles, the decorating of evergreen trees, caroling, lights, feasting, gift-giving, and family gatherings in lieu of work or school. Now, if that puts a damper on it for you, it's okay, because this mixture with pagan and secular ideals, uh, it was tried to be redeemed by the church. The church tried to take those uh, religious rituals and traditions and redeem them. But the problem is, is that if we're not careful, this mixture with these pagan ideas and the secular ideals can become, uh, it can come quite easily at this time of year, this syncretism that we talked about as a church a couple of Sundays ago. It can come to us unless we are purposeful in our worship of Christ. Now, it becomes very easy to think we are worshiping Christ at Christmas when, in fact, he is nowhere to be found in our celebrations. It takes great focus and purpose and intentionality to take this day and make it a holy day and to keep its traditions redeemed and centered on Christ. And so I'm so thankful, personally, as a Christian, that we get a chance this morning to pause in the midst of all the trappings of the holiday to be reminded of what we as disciples of Jesus Christ are celebrating when we say the phrase, Merry Christmas to one another. The word merry means to wish feelings of excitement and enjoyment and gladness to one another. And the cause of this excitement is not because of presents, not because of wreaths, not because of any of the food. These are exciting things, yes, but they're not the core reason. The reason for this excitement is because of the Mass of Christ, Christmas. Now, for us as Protestants, we hesitate on this because we think Mass, wait a minute, isn't that a Catholic thing? Well, yes, it is, but the word here is most likely not pointing to the Catholic Mass. It could mean a couple of other things. It could come from the Latin word misa, which means something that is sent, Christ sent to us. Or it could come from the Hebrew misa, which refers to the unleavened bread we use in communion. Now, I love both of these ideas because at Christmas, our Christ, which means our anointed king and savior, he was sent to us as a baby born to a virgin, and he was birthed in a little town known as Bethlehem in the Hebrew, Bethlehem, which means house of bread, so that he might be the unleavened, sinless bread from heaven, given to us by the Father that we might partake of him and be satisfied forever. Merry Christmas. Either way, Christ must be at the center of our Merry Christmas. Amen? Amen. And this morning, as we look at the inspired word of God together, may, be, may we be those who can look through all the trappings of the holiday and instead see our salvation clearly as we focus on Christ. And as we see our salvation clearly, we will see Christmas, Christmas more clearly as well. So to do so on this Lord's Day, let's turn our eyes to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And we're going to cover verses 22 through 35. And we're going to follow in the steps of a wonderful man named Simeon as he focused on the newborn child that was sent to take away the sins of creation. And if you're wondering why I would choose this text on Christmas morning, 
I want you to recognize that most likely it comes in between the birth of Christ that we just read in, uh, in our earlier reading and the visitation of the three wise men that's about two years into Jesus' life. Did you guys know that? The wise men come two years into Jesus' life, not at his birth. And so this is more of a Christian text, in my opinion, than even the wise men, because it happens very soon after the birth of Jesus. Uh, So let's go ahead and read it, starting in verse 22 of Luke chapter 2. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they, Mary, Joseph, brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. Now, our text this morning focuses in on this small family of Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, and a man that they meet named Simeon. And the way it is written is masterful, because Jesus is lifted up as the Christ. He is the center of this story, and in so doing, he's given the spotlight. But our eyes are drawn for a moment, first to Mary and Joseph and Simeon, as they supply the background. And in the story of these three individuals, we are able to step into the story ourselves and identify with them as they are awaiting consolation, awaiting consolation. Now, one of the things that is thrown about at Christmas time, even by non-believers, is that this is a time of comfort and joy. Now, why would this be so important to non-believers? Well, because the world around us and everyone in it, including you and I, is looking for consolation, to be consoled. Consolation is a fancy word that simply means comfort in the midst of pain and suffering and loss. What is all mankind looking for consolation from? Well, the same things that we see here in the storylines of Mary and Joseph. As we'll see in a moment, they were looking for consolation from the everyday pain of life, from fear, from ostracism. They were looking for provision, survival. And most of all, they were looking for consolation from feelings of guilt and purity and sin. In the storyline of Simeon, we see a much larger need for consolation as he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. His life had been dedicated to prayer and worship, begging Yahweh God to save Israel from the hands of its enemies and return it to the status it once knew as the conquering and prosperous nation under Joshua and then later David and Solomon. These three people were awaiting the same consolation that all of humanity yearns for and looks for, especially at this time of year. Let's first think about Mary and Joseph. Rather than thinking of them as if they were frozen in stained glass with halos above them, let's pause for a moment and think about them in reality as they existed here. Notice a few things with me. We know before we even read this that they were young and most likely very scared and probably outcast. 
Mary was in, uh, likely in her mid-teens, probably 15 to 17 years old. Joseph, probably a few years older. They were from the region of Nazareth in the north of Israel, near Galilee, known for being a rural center of uneducated farmers and fishermen. Most likely, their town had a grand total of 400 people at this time. And in our text here, they were in the center of urban trade, education, and religious worship in the city of Jerusalem, a city that at this time likely had a population of a half million to a million people. So do you think as they wandered through the streets towards the temple that they were a bit scared? They were lost in the crowd and wondering what to do. Now add to this the fact that by Jewish law, this was somewhere within 40 days after Mary traumatically gave birth in the midst of a cave in Bethlehem. And I say traumatic because any of you who have birthed children, that in and of itself is traumatic, but can you imagine doing it in the middle of a cave, surrounded by animals in the dark of night? Now possibly, even as they headed home from Bethlehem to Nazareth, they're coming here to do this ritual sacrifice. Do you think Mary was exhausted? Do you think she was tired? Do you think Joseph was wondering how to lead his family? Do you think they were scared as new parents, wondering what the future held? I think they probably were. Now, we also know from other Gospels that there were most likely already rumors circulating their hometown regarding the possibility that Jesus was not Joseph's offspring. Now, in a town of 400, you can't hide these things. And Mary and Joseph themselves had to wonder, both of them having been visited by angels and told that she had just given birth to God incarnate, do you think they felt a little bit crazy, wondering if it actually had happened? Do you think they felt ostracized and alone? Do you think that they were wondering who would still associate with them when they headed back home with this newborn? Perhaps you can understand the desire for consolation, consolation from fear or loneliness, the chaos of life, maybe consolation from relational hurt. Maybe you can identify this morning with Mary and Joseph. Now, we also know from our text that they were going to the temple to practice the Levitical law's requirement of ritual purification after childbirth. Now, for the sake of time this morning, I'm not going to get into too much of the background here, but what I can tell you is that this Levitical law was a reminder of the need of sinful mankind for a savior. It pointed to the need for consolation in the midst of the effects of the curse of sin. Notice that in verse 22, it says it was the time of their, the full family's, purification. In Leviticus 12, there was a very specific law that stated that at the birth of a child, a woman would undergo a time of impurity, at the end of which a sacrifice would need to be presented at the temple as a kind of purification ritual. Now, this law and ritual was intended to point the minds of the Israelites and every family who gave birth to a child back to the original curse of sin in the garden as well as the promise that came with it of redemption and of the promised offspring of the woman, the Messiah, and the hope of mankind found in the Christ that would come and reconcile mankind back to God. Now, it also says that they came to present him to the Lord, and it quotes here from Exodus 13, right there in verse 23. Now, this was a Levitical law requiring the giving of the first fruits, so to speak, giving it to God as a statement of submission and reverence that he gets our best, Acknowledgement that he is God and all gifts and provision come from him. Now, why did God's people need this tradition, this law as a reminder? Well, because we all, dear friends, like our first mother and father, Adam and Eve, believe that we can be like God or above God, and we can make idols in our image, the image of the created things, forgetting to acknowledge and serve the creator instead. Both of these laws reference the need for forgiveness from sin and reconciliation to God, they both show mankind's need for consolation 
in the midst of a dark and dreary world. In doing these rituals, the Levitical law states that the priest would make atonement for them. He would console them because they would be made clean. Mary and Joseph, like all mankind, innately know our brokenness and look for redemption and consolation from our guilt and shame. Friends, if you don't know Jesus this morning, perhaps that's you. Perhaps you're a person who is looking for consolation from the deep brokenness inside that you know is there. And so this time of year gives you a sense of hope, but you don't know why. Well, friends, it's because of Jesus Christ and the consolation he brings. Perhaps you can identify with this desire for consolation from sin and guilt. Now, lastly, notice that it says that the sacrifice of Mary and Joseph was going to be a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. The law required a young spotless lamb, but in the case of those who could not afford a lamb, they could give two turtle doves or pigeons. Mary and Joseph were so poor that this was all that they could afford. Perhaps at this time of year, you can identify with this need for consolation from feeling the feeling of simply scraping by, especially as the gifts are under the tree. Brothers and sisters, do you see the human reality of Mary and Joseph? Do you see all the things they were looking for consolation from? At this point in the story, they had very little understanding of what awaited them or their son. They were just two young, scared kids looking for consolation from the everyday pain of life, consolation from ostracism and fear and poverty, feeling left out, most of all feelings of guilt and impurity and sin that we all carry. Friends, this is every one of us. And Christmas often simply reminds us of this fact. This is why for many, this is the hardest time of year. This is the time of year that they're reminded that they're alone or that they're sad. And for others, they spend this time going overboard in order to feel happy for a moment, to possibly forget the pain around them or inside of them, only to have it creep back in on December 26th, or maybe to hold it off as long as January 2nd. Maybe you can identify with Mary and Joseph in one way or another this morning. Are you looking for consolation or comfort? I know that I am. Our text points us not only to Mary and Joseph, but also to another character, Simeon who was looking for consolation as well. But his consolation was not personal or even familial. It says in verse 25 that this devout and righteous man was looking for the consolation of Israel. Now put simply, Israel had been promised by God that the land they lived in would be theirs and they would be protected from their enemies if they worshipped God in fullness. But the history of Israel was that they did not do so. Slowly but surely, they gave themselves over to pagan traditions of idolatry, And they mixed them in with their worship of Yahweh, still proclaiming to be followers of Yahweh, but showing the opposite with their lives. And as a result, they were exiled in Babylon and occupied by army after army, even up to the day of Jesus here, in which Rome ruled over Israel. What Simeon knew was that this was all due to idolatry and halfway worship, syncretistic worship by the nation of Israel. And his prayer, his devotion, was that the true remnant of God, the true Israel of God, those that actually worshipped Yahweh, would be consoled amidst this suffering. He wanted to see God's true people comforted and his nation restored. Perhaps you can identify with Simeon this morning. For you see a society around you that is crumbling and God's true people struggling amidst a so-called church immersed in worship of false Christs and false gospels. Perhaps this morning, you too are crying out for this same consolation for God's true people, the church, and maybe even consolation for our nation. 
I know that I am. Now, Mary and Joseph and uh, Simeon had no intention that their actions would be remembered all these years later. They just wanted to be simple, faithful followers of Yahweh and serve him with their lives. You can think about it. If anyone walked by Mary and Joseph as they made their way to the temple, no one would have noticed them as they went to seek consolation and reconciliation with God. They were just simple, poor Jewish peasants doing what God commanded. And if anyone saw Simeon approach them, no one would have thought much of it. They would have simply seen the hyper-spiritual guy that's always at the temple, always there, having another one of his spiritual moments. In fact, passers-by, I bet, they would have looked at this scene with a bit of confusion, curiosity, and maybe even disdain. For at that moment, few probably realized that Simeon, Joseph, and Mary were coming face-to-face with salvation. They were coming face-to-face with salvation. Remember that Mary and Joseph had been told the overall plan with Jesus, that he was to save mankind and Israel from their sin. But they didn't know the details yet. That that would come in time. And so as they were on their way to the temple to perform this simple, basic Jewish sacrifice, probably exhausted and just wanting to get home, they came upon this devout old man who had been given a promise by God that he would see the Christ that all mankind was looking for to bring this consolation that we've been discussing. When he saw Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus, the Holy Spirit illuminated for him the reality that this baby was, in fact, the Messiah, the Christ, the one whom the very tradition they are practicing that day points to. And he is the one that would save mankind from our sins and restore God's people to their place of prominence among the nations, excuse me, the nations. And so Simeon grabs the baby in his arms, he blesses God with great praise and says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. What a beautiful, blatant statement of the gospel message here. First, Simeon states that salvation is found in Jesus alone. There are not many ways to salvation. There is only one. Simeon did not come face to face with a religious system or a set of rituals or a false god. He came face to face with the God-man, Jesus of Nazareth, God incarnate in human flesh. For salvation is found in the person and work of Jesus alone. And because of this, the story of Jesus would be something that would reach every nation and all people. This is not a statement that every individual would be reached, but one that means every nation under heaven would hear the name of Jesus. And salvation was no longer contained within the Jewish people alone. By the end of the first century even, this outreach had been accomplished in the sense that every nation in the known world had the gospel preached to them, and it's still being preached to the farthest corners of the world today. And as the good news of Jesus' life and death, his resurrection, his ascension, enthronement as Christ was and is preached, its result is the light of the Gentiles and glory for Israel. Light for us as Gentiles because we were blind in idolatry and self-deification. And if you don't believe me, just look around at this time of year. Look around at the people in this world and how focused they are on the idolatry of Christmas, not the true meaning of the, the birth of the Christ child. Without the word of God protected and preached through the nation of Israel and in through the apostles of the new covenant church, we would all still be blind, lost in sin, happy to celebrate at Christmas, but on our way to ultimate eternal destruction. But glory be to God 
that through Christ, through this Christ child that grew up, that was sacrificed for our sins, and that was elevated to a position of king, he opened the way for us to see and know that he alone is salvation. His sacrifice is the means of reconciliation to our creator and our invitation into his people, the true Israel of God, the church. Because of this, we will one day see glory just as we have seen salvation when our faith becomes sight and we are with Christ for all eternity. Jesus alone is the one that can accomplish salvation and consolation. He is the one that consoles us in truth. And yet, Simeon tells Mary, even after this, that this glorious gospel would not be easy, but it would come at a cost. It would come at the cost of the cross of Christ, a sign that would be opposed by many throughout history, and a crucifixion that would pierce her heart as the earthly mother of this man that would become a sacrificial lamb. Jesus would be the perfect spotless lamb that takes away the sins of the world and purifies us before God. The result of this death, resurrection, and enthronement would raise up people to glory, but would also slowly and surely reveal the hearts and minds of every human being, displaying clearly if they are his in obedience or not. How can such a prophecy bring peace to Simeon? because he knew that this was not a shallow happiness that would bring momentary comfort as so many seek this time of year. Simeon saw the consolation of God to a world that was dying in suffering and sin and needed a savior. Simeon saw the consolation of the true people of God, the true Israel, that they would be justified and glorified. And Simeon saw that for his own self, he did not need to be afraid at even the prospect of death. For his faith in what he could not see, his faith that his future was an eternal one, was now secure. It had now become sight as his eyes had seen God's salvation. For he had seen the manner in which God would secure that eternal peace for him and for all of us. He would do so through the one born as a baby and dedicated to the service of the Father. The one who would voluntarily offer his very life as a sacrifice to purify not himself, but all those whom the Father would call to him. Brothers and sisters, it is this good news, this gospel that brings us peace and joy on this holiday. Amen? Amen. This holy day in which Christ was sent to save us from our sin, to forgive us of all of our sin. And so I give you the answer to the earlier question I raised. Why do we assemble on this Christmas day? Because Christmas reminds us of the good news of the Christ sent to bring us peace. This is why we gather. I opened my email the other day, and one of the retailers that sends me junk mail sent me a message whose subject line was, joy is here. It was about a pair of pants. (laughs) We were at the grocery store the other day, and we grabbed a box off the shelf, and I got so excited because it says, joy is here. It was a box of crackers. Brothers and sisters, much of the world around us today will have a momentary happiness that comes from eating a cracker or getting a new pair of pants. It will come over them today because of our innate greed, our innate desire for hedonism, our earthly hunger and thirst, and even our desire for companionship will be temporarily satisfied as we overlook one another's faults for an evening, just until the political discussion comes up at the dinner table. But as the wrapping paper is cleaned up, and the food digests, and this day comes to a close, each of those who do not follow Christ will be looking for the next high that comes at New Year's, only for joy on that day to escape them as well. 
But friends, for you and I, for those in this room that know Christ and follow Christ, that have been called to him, we know that love, joy, and peace are only ours because of the good news of Jesus Christ. If you do not know him today, please come talk to one of us as pastors. Talk with the people that brought you here about what it is to follow Jesus because love, joy, and peace can only truly come from him. These tangible, weighty truths come to those who are Christ because we have come face to face with salvation just as Simeon did. In each of our testimonies, we have encountered Christ through the Holy Spirit as he came to us in his word, preached, and his people empowered in love. And so for us on this day, all the traditions, they mean a little bit more. The lights remind us of the light of the gospel that awakened us from our sinful sleep. Amen? The gifts remind us of the ultimate gift of heaven. The fellowship and the family remind us that we have been made a part of an eternal family in the true people of God. Amen? And the food and drink remind us of the one who is the bread and the water of life sent to us to reconcile us to the Father. Amen? Amen. This morning, may the Lord grant us the ability to see through the mixture and pagan revelry that surrounds us so that we might see our salvation clearly, so that we might see the mass of Christ more clearly. Christ sent to us as the unleavened bread meant to satisfy us and console us for all time. Salvation and therefore consolation comes from Jesus Christ alone. In him alone do we find our peace and joy and salvation. And so we declare by our very lives as his people this morning, by the fact that we have gathered here as his people in a preview of heaven, we have declared that he is God and he is worthy of our praise above all else. Amen? Amen. He is worthy every day, every Sunday, but especially on this Sunday where we glory in the good news of the Christ sent as a child to take away our sins and to give us everlasting life with him. Let's now proclaim and remember this truth as we pray and come to the Lord's table together. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful for your plan of salvation and that your touch point on this earth as an incarnate God was through the Christ child. We thank you for that truth. We thank you that we were reminded of it this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the faithfulness of Mary and Joseph, of Simeon, and especially of Christ that grew into a man who was obedient in all ways, who died voluntarily to fulfill your plan of salvation, to give reconciliation to us so that we might come to you in faith. And so we just thank you this morning. We thank you for everything you have done for us in spite of our faithlessness. And so we praise you and give you thanks, and we come to your table of communion with happy and joy-filled hearts because we know that in spite of us, you have drawn us close. And so we praise you and give you thanks this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.